Father, uh, as we get into your word, I do ask that, that today, God, you would give us uh, ears to hear. Give us open hearts. Let us be people who want to receive from you. And, and Lord, just thinking about Paul encouraging that, that group of believers there in that, that village many years ago, Lord, and, and how he's just writing them a letter and, and, and trying to get them. Lord, on the solid and firm foundation, I pray, God, that we would take it the same way. This is your love letter to us. This is your care for us. And, and let us receive this so that we can be strong in our faith and we can walk in this world as shining lights, as examples of Jesus Christ to this world. So I pray that you would bless this time, Lord, and that, God, we would be edified and strengthened. In Jesus' name, Amen. Hey, we kind of come now, I think, to, a, to kind of a different, and a, a big shift, so to speak, in the letter to Thessalonians, although it's not humongous, but it's a shift. And, you know, I'm one of the guys, I don't always agree with the chapter breaks and verse breaks the way they do it. I think this should be in chapter 5 if you're going to do it that way and, and move it that way. But remember, chapters and verses are not from the Lord. They were added later. Some of you are thinking, do you think you're God? No, I'm not rewriting the Bible. I'm just saying I think the guys who broke it up some kind of messed up sometimes. But having said that, listen, we're going to shift. He's been telling, listen, last time he was telling us, here's how you walk. Here's how you live in this world. Now it seems like the major shift is he's answering some questions. I think that Timothy brought him. Remember, he's in Corinth writing to the people in Thessalonica that he only spent a small amount of time with. And it seems like from what we're looking at here that as Paul was there, it seems like he had talked to them about Jesus coming for his church, this thing we call the rapture. It seems like he had introduced that to them, and, and I'm kind of I'm like a little bit like, wow, you did that with people that are only a few months old in the Lord? Must have been important, right? It must have been important. But they seem confused about some of the issues. And here's the thing you need to understand the church is going to be caught up in the air with Jesus. I don't care, I don't care what, what time frame you put on it. I don't care where you, where you want to put it in, in end times, in eschatology, but it is going to happen. And that's basically what Paul's saying here, although I think he gives us some hints at the time frame. But that's basically what he's saying. And so you and I need to know that the reality, and here's what happens. We get caught up in arguing about different things. The reality is we will be caught up with the Lord in the air. That's the reality. That's the truth. That's the thing we need to understand and we need to get a hold of. So, hey, we've developed different, right, different theologies for that. We have pre-trib, uh, rapture happens before the tribulation. You have the mid-trib or the pre-wrath, whatever you want to call that now. It kind of shifts that's towards the center. And then you have the post-trib, those who believe it's going to happen after the tribulation. And then you have kind of the ah mill guys that just don't think any of it's going to happen and, and throw it all out. So, uh, you know, you can be in one of those camps. And I think you should know why you believe what you believe. I think that's important. I personally, I'm, I'm a pre-tribber. I'll talk about that some, and I'll give you some reasons even today why I think that's the correct view. But here's what I know. No matter what your view is, you're going when Jesus comes, period. You're not going to, like, listen, if you're a post-tribber and he comes pre-trib, he's not going to say, sorry, you got to go. I'm not taking you. And so that's, that's the security that we have. It doesn't depend on us. Listen carefully. It depends on him. 
So their question was, and here's what seems to be going on. What about those who die? Paul has talked to them about the rapture. It's been, a, it's been a while now. Now it's probably been close to a year. And Paul's thinking, or, or their thinking is, hey, we have loved ones who died. What's going to happen to them? Where are they? Are they included in us? We're confused about that. And I think that's what they wrote and asked Paul. So having said that, here's something to think about. If Paul, when he was there, taught them that it's post-tribulation and that the church is gonna be raptured after the tribulation, don't you think he would have mentioned that during the tribulation period, a lot of saints are gonna die? I would think he would say that because it's what the Bible says, right? A lot are going to be, be killed during the tribulation. Do you think then they would be worried about, well, what about those people who have died? I think if it was post-trib and that's what he explained to them, they wouldn't be confused, but here's their confusion. People are dying before Jesus came, which tells me a couple things. One, Paul told them that Jesus' coming was imminent, could happen at any moment, nothing else has to happen for him to come. And number two, they're confused about, well, are they gonna be okay? Are they gonna be part of this whole event? So look at verse 13, he says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. You know what, I gotta stop right there. The thing that blows my mind the most is, there's a few other places, but there's three particular places where Paul writes to the church, and here's what he says. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. And those are the things we're the most ignorant about and want to argue and fight and split over. And I'm thinking, Jesus says, I don't want you to be ignorant, which means we shouldn't have to be ignorant, right? Nod your heads, even if you don't believe me, just nod your heads. So listen to what he says. Listen, listen to these other two places. In Romans chapter 11, he says, For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, and blindness that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come. Here's what he's saying. I don't want you to be ignorant about the fact that God is not done with Israel. There's a, hey, there's a whole bunch of, Christians who believe that God's done with Israel, that that's a past thing. But Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant about that. And then he goes on, teaches in Romans. And then also in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he writes this. Now concerning the spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. What is one of the things the church fights the most about? Spiritual gifts. Are they for today? Are they not for today? And they have these big arguments. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And then here he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the coming of Jesus. And what is the thing? Well, I think it's mid-trip. I think it's post-trip. I'm going to fight with you. I'm going to argue with you. Hey, I think you need to have conviction on what you believe. But I also think you should be able to have a discussion with people. Nothing's worse than just being completely closed-minded. So here's what Paul says. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren. Concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you should sorrow as others who have no hope. So he begins to introduce this, number one, he's using a, a, a metaphor, fallen asleep for death, right? I don't want you to be ignorant of those who have died, he says, that, so that you would have no hope like the rest of the world. He's not telling us here not to grieve, I think we should grieve. I think grieving is a, is a healthy process. I think it's something we need to do when we lose a loved one. Although I like to say this, if your loved one's a believer, you didn't lose them, they just changed locations. We know where they're at, right? 
But here's what he says. I don't want you to grieve like the world. The world is ignorant of God, has no concept of God. So when somebody dies, they are totally, listen, they're without hope. And he says, don't grieve like that. He says, you can grieve, but don't grieve like that. I always share with people, hey, we grieve because that person's not with us anymore. We're not grieving because, because of where they're at. We're grieving because they're not with us. We know they're in a far better place, and we'll talk about that. We know they're in the presence of the Lord, and it is a good thing. So we understand that, but we still have a grieving process we have to go through. So don't interpret this and say, well, God says we shouldn't grieve. No, he's not saying that. He says, I, want, I don't want you to grieve like those in the world that have no hope. So he says, listen, now concerning those who have died, don't be like them. For, verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. Ah. Here's the bottom line for believing in the rapture. That Jesus rose, which means we're going to rise. Jesus died on a cross, was buried, rose again on the third day. It's proof that we are going to, to rise. But it's also proof that those who died will also be risen. They'll be brought out of the grave. They'll be uh, reunited. I, I like to call it, they're, they're, you know, they're with him in spirit, but then their bodies will be reunited at that moment when the rapture takes place. Now, I know there's sometimes some confusion. Some people say, well, how come, how come here? Well, in, in the next verse, he says, he says uh, in verse 15, uh, for we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive shall remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with a voice of a, uh, the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will raise first. So we're going to develop all of that, but here's my point. There's some people that say, well, if they're going to be resurrected, how can they be with the Lord and be resurrected? And a lot of people always ask, when we do Q&As, they ask, what happens when you die? The moment you die, your spirit goes and you're in the presence of Jesus, I like to say it this way. Your last breath here will be your first breath in heaven. And that's a promise. Now, listen, how do I say that? I say that because the Bible says that. Listen to 2 Corinthians. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. When we're not here, we're present. So, and then, and then in Philippians, he says this, for I'm hard pressed uh, between the two. So here's what Paul's having a, having a hard time deciding. Should I go be with the Lord or should I hang out with you guys? We all kind of feel that way, don't we? Like, I'd really like to go be with the Lord, but I kind of like you guys, but I like Jesus better. But I know that I'm supposed to be doing something. And so Paul says, listen, I'm having a hard time. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. He knew that when he died, he would be in the presence of the Lord. So our spirit goes, but all of us know the body doesn't, right? The body's still here. And I think that's why Paul uses a metaphor for sleeping. Our body kind of goes to sleep, right? It's here, it doesn't go. But here's what he's saying. You need to know that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, 
going back to verse 14, just as he died on a cross, rose from the dead, so those who are dead in Christ will rise at that moment. Their bodies will, and they will be getting a glorified body, and then we're going to look at it in a minute, then those who are alive are going to be caught up also and be in his presence. And those who are alive will just be transformed at that moment. Those who are dead, they get a new body. Hallelujah, huh? Aren't you kind of excited about a new body? Like, I've kind of messed this one up. I've got holes in it. I've got rods in it. I've got all kinds of things. I'm like so done with this body, and I want that new one. So listen, he, said, he says, just like we will get a new body, he says, those who died, they're going to be also caught up. Here's the point. No one is going to miss the rapture. Everybody who believes in Jesus is going to be included. Hallelujah, huh? That's what he's trying to get them to understand. So again, getting back to verse 14, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For, for this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. So here's the confusion. You're going, well, how is this going to take place? Now listen, he doesn't give us the actual time frame, but he does, does let us know how it operates. Everyone who died is going to be reunited with their body. They get to go first. And then those of us who are alive will be caught up. But we're all going to end up in the air. Hallelujah, right? But he says, listen, they're going to do that. And he, and he lets us know something here that I think is important from verse 15, 16, and 17. He continually uses the word we. What do you think that means? Here's what I think it means. I think we means we. We, we. Right? I think it means, I think, listen, I think he's saying we, meaning Paul expected to be caught up. He says, we who remain alive aren't going to precede those. And then next he's going to say, and we who are alive will be caught up in the air. I think Paul expected the Lord to come in his generation. And I know, you know, some people go, well, that doesn't fit with my theology. Then change your theology. And what bothers me is some of the, some of the commentators, they do this. Well, you know, that's the literary we. He didn't really mean we. <laughs> I think he meant We. I think he's talking, and he, listen, listen carefully. Paul was not writing a, a, a treatise or, or, or trying to, you know, prove some kind of systematic theology. What was Paul writing? He's writing a letter, and he's writing a letter to a church that's a little bit confused, a little bit messed up, but a really good church that he loved a lot. And so what is he writing? He's writing words of encouragement. He's not trying to prove some theological argument. He's trying to say, hey, guys, listen. We who are alive will by no means ever precede those who have died. Your loved ones are going to be okay. You will see them again. We will all meet in the air. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he's letting them know. So I think the we there means I think Paul expected Jesus to come. I believe it's our Christian duty to expect Jesus to show up in our generation. I think we should always look. I mean, do you ever wake up in the morning and shocked we're still here? They were looking in a mirror and go, why am I still here? I'm really praying that Jesus is going to come. Uh, I think he has to wait for the next service. Because i got to get through this, like, for everybody. 
And then, I mean, what better time for Jesus to come than when you're talking about his coming? Woo, would that be awesome? Like, Jesus, I was just trying to explain that to everybody. And here we are, we're there, right? I just kind of always have, always have that fascination that that's how that's gonna happen. So last night I was telling him, I go, well, he can't come tonight because we have to do tomorrow morning. And then you guys are first service, so he can't come now, we have to do. So everybody should come back for the 11 o'clock service. That's what I'm thinking. Because we all are probably gonna go at that moment. But listen, we're not gonna precede those who have died. Now, here's the dilemma for some people. What about those who died 200 years ago? I don't think their bodies are intact, do you? I'm thinking no. What about those guys? God can put them back together. He's not gonna be confused. He's not gonna say, oh man, I don't know what to do. This is just like dust. He can put those bodies back together because we are promised a bodily resurrection. And he can take that body, he can put it back together. But here's the great news. Then he can take that body and he's gonna make it all brand new. He's not gonna remodel it. He's not gonna fix it up. He's gonna make it a new body for eternity. And so we have that promise. So, you know, and then, and then there's always the question of, well, what if we're cremated? Can, can he put us back together? Yes. That's not, a, you know, that's, and I know, I know in some churches, some denominations, there's a big thing. If, if you're cremated, you're proving you don't believe in a resurrection. That's not true. I mean, you know, I don't think most people go, well, go ahead and cremate me because I'm not going to be resurrected. I think there's different reasons that people have for believing that or for believing in cremation. And it's okay. If you're not wanting to do it, that's okay too. Chuck Smith used to say it this way. Cremation does in 30 minutes what nature does in 30, or 30 years. You're going to end up dust. Listen, if he doesn't come back within 30, 50 years, you're going to be dust anyway. So just kind of keep that in mind. So God can put all that together, and maybe that's what was weighing on someone. Well, how is God going to make this happen? He's God. You're not, right? If he made us out of the dust of the earth, he can fix that dust once again and make it alive and, and well. So verse 15 again. He says, for in this way, we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. For, and here's the good news, the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall raise first. Yes. We have that promise. We have that promise of him coming. Personally, Jesus is going to come. And I kind of love this. He's going to come with a shout of God, with a voice of an archangel, and with a trumpet. Now, there's some argument of, is all of that describing one noise? Or is it three different noises? Is three different things going on? And, you know, I got to be really honest. Part of me doesn't really care. And I don't think we can get too nitpicky about that. I, I kind of would lean toward it's going to be one honking loud noise. And here's the thing. It's not going to be when the church goes, it's not going to be like, it's not going to be, wow, those guys just disappeared. It's going to be what just happened. The world is going to hear the noise. I don't think they're not going to understand the noise. Those of us who are caught up as we're going up in the air, we will know what that noise was, right? Woohoo! Yeah, he came for us. But the noise is going to happen. It's going to be loud. It's going to be, I think, somewhat obnoxious. And people are going to have to put up with it. 
Now, an interesting thing is the Lord himself will come for us. He's not sending somebody for us. He's coming to get us. He's coming to take us to be with him. And as I said, it's going to be quite the miraculous event. There's going to be that. And then I'm always intrigued with this, the voice of an archangel. Do you know how many archangels there are in the Bible? I know some of you are going, two, three, four. We know of three. One. There's only one named an archangel, Michael. Oh, some of us go, yeah, but Satan, what about Satan? When, you know, Isaiah, it never says he was an archangel. It says he was an angel. Only one is named an archangel, or one archangel's name. That's Michael. Gabriel wasn't an archangel. A lot of us think he was, right? We kind of, and here's the funny thing. When we get those things in our head, then when we read our Bible, we'll read this, Gabriel the archangel. It doesn't say that. But we kind of read that in, right? Some of you nod your heads like you believe me. Right? Because we do that. Isn't it funny how you can read something? You guys have done those tests, right? Where they leave whole uh, 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 letters out and whole words out, and you just read it like it's there because you're flowing. So a lot of us do that, but only one's name. So I don't know if this is Michael or a different one, but here's what I know. An archangel is going to make some noise and be involved. And then the trump. So here's the dilemma for people, and here's where we kind of start getting into some, a little bit of, and wanting to argue and fight and do stuff. Well, if it's a trump, and a trump is blown when Jesus comes for his church, because that's what this is talking about, and in 1 Corinthians it says it's the last trumpet, does that mean that it's the seventh trumpet of the book of Revelation, Oh, and we start tying that together. That is way too many dots you're connecting there. You're like going here to here to here to here. And I don't think that's a reasonable argument. Number one, last trumpet in 1 Corinthians could be many, many different last trumpets. It could be the last trumpet the church ever hears because the church goes up and is in his presence. It could be the last trumpet in a series of trumpets that makes that trumpet sound, and no trumpet's ever going to make that sound again. I know some of that's sounding crazy, but listen, we've got to be careful where we build our doctrine. Build your doctrine on some solid stuff. So the trump's going to sound, and then he says, the dead in Christ will be raised first. Can I tell you a joke a Baptist pastor told me? A Baptist pastor told me this joke. He says, that is proof that Baptists are going to go to heaven first. Because the dead in Christ will be raised first. <laughs> I didn't do it. Don't throw stuff at me. A Baptist pastor told me that. So get mad at him. But what is he telling us here? He's telling us that those loved ones are going to be reunited with their body. They're going to be raised and they're going to be, so we need to have that, and once again, have that hope. You are going to see your loved ones who died in Christ, that's the important part, right? You're going to see them. And then he says this, and we're going to stop and talk a little bit here in verse 17. Then we who are alive, notice the we there again, right? We who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Yes, yes, we're always going to be. Listen, we should celebrate with that. And he says, listen, here's the truth. They're going to be caught up, then we who are alive, and, and it's interesting. People will tell you, well, you know, the word rapture is never in the Bible. Eh, they're right, 
That exact word is not in the Bible. But we get the word rapture from what is said here. This word here in the Greek is harpazo, but then the Latin translation of that was raptura, which we get rapture from. And it's okay. So when people start arguing with me, listen, people want to get, well, you know what rapture is not in the Bible. I go, okay, we'll get caught up because that's in the Bible. So we'll just use that phrase, okay? I mean, I think like, come on. Now, here's what's interesting about that word, the Greek word. The Greek word is a violent snatching away from one place to another. Not a mild manner thing, a violent snatching away. I believe when we are raptured, I don't think it's going to be, I think it's going to freak us out. I think it's going to be wham, and we are not going to realize for a moment exactly what took place. It is going to be violent, and it is going to be sudden, and it is going to be a transformation for us that, boom, it's happened, it's done. And we need to understand that. So listen, not, it's not going to be a secret thing. It's not going to be done. Nobody knew. Years ago, I read a thing, and, and uh, I'm pretty sure it was true. Skip Heisek, uh, one of the Calvary pastors from Albuquerque, he was going to a home group when he first got saved, and he was late going to the home group, so they got this bright idea of, let's freak Skip out. And they all, listen, they all got other clothes and they all laid clothes out where they would be sitting on the couches and their shoes and stuff. And then they all went and hid in the back. And Skip comes, <laughs> Skip comes, that would be a little freaky, right? I mean, if I came to church one Sunday and I came out to, to teach after the last song and there's just a bunch of clothes there, that would be like freaking me out a little bit. And he got all freaked out. Listen, though, it's not gonna be, it's not gonna be that secret thing. When it happens, you're not gonna not know and Listen, I don't think the entire, the entire world is going to know, but it's going to happen, and it's going to be a snatching away, and it's going to be quick, and we're going to go meet the Lord in the air. I believe, listen, I believe just from a little bit that we're learning here, you got to start developing some thought of when is this going to happen. Number one, I don't believe it's going to happen in the middle of or at the end of the tribulation because if it was, he would have, they wouldn't have had the question about people dying. He wouldn't have had to explain that because people are dying. And then one of the arguments, and hey, before, before I went to Calvary Chapel Bible College, when I was, I was discipled, I was discipled by some people, and they were hardcore post-tribbers, hardcore. And not saying anything just to generalize people, but Often, we'll use that word, often post-tribbers are survivalists. Talk to some of your post-trib friends. Ask them how much food they got. <laughs> They're often that way. It's interesting. And, and that, oh, one guy particularly who discipled me was, was hardcore, and he was a survivalist. And hey, he would have done good. He's the guy that I would go on missionary trips. He would pray that I would have an appendicitis attack so he could do surgery on me out in the field. I'm thinking, why would you pray that? Why would that be your prayer as we're going out on the field? Why would you want to do that? He says, because I think I could pull it off. <laughs> he was that kind of guy. He had, he had a book that says where there is no doctor, and he saw he had the pictures, and he's ready to go. And I'm thinking, you are a crazy individual. And God answered my prayers, not his. I just thought, you guys know that. 
But he's a hardcore, listen, hardcore post-tribber. And I'll never forget as a young Christian, I'm talking to him and he's discipling me and he's showing me, he goes, look at right here in Thessalonians. Here's what he says, look in Thessalonians. He says this, those who are still alive, we who are still alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, uh, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. To meet. And I go, yeah. And he goes, meet. Do you know what that word means? Well, I don't know what that word means. I, you know. And he goes, what it means is, the original word means you go meet somebody and then you escort them back. You Like you go meet a royalty on their way in and then you escort them back. And so we're going to meet him in the air and then come back with him. And I'm going, oh, that's awesome. Until I studied it. Oftentimes, that's used a couple times that way. Uh, Luke uses it once in Acts as he's talking about the, the group going out to meet Paul. But listen, it doesn't mean that way every time. Now, a couple things with that. Here's some problems I have with that. If Jesus is coming for his bride at the end of the tribulation, listen carefully, after you've gone through everything and you're at the end and he's ready to set up his millennial kingdom, what's the point do you hear me? What's the point of being raptured? You're just going to go up and come right back down? That's not fun. It's not like a trampoline. <laughs> Listen, I just think, I think, really, and really, what is the point? You've already made it to the end. What's the point of the rapture? To be changed? Well, can he just change you here? Why do you have to go up and meet him? Number one, that's one of my problems. Number two is, if you read the book of Revelation, there's a point where we meet him, and then we have the married supper of the Lamb. How are you going to do that if you just go up and come right back? You're going to go like through McDonald's, like do a drive-through, and that's a married supper of the lamb. And then the last thing as I think about this, the last thing is if they were worried about, once again, worried about people dying, why would they ask that question if Paul said a whole bunch of people are going to die? Oh, one more thing. Have you read the book of Revelation? Some of you are nodding your head. Have you done the math? Have you done the math about how many people are gonna die? Have you looked at how many saints are gonna make it to the end? I think like five. Listen, you're not promised to get all the way through. That's a crazy thing. I don't care how good of a survivalist you are. I don't care how good your skills are. I don't care how much food you got stored. Listen, not very many people make it to the end. He kills the saints of God, and that's pretty powerful. So I think there's only a few, and then the last, last thing, I know I said that a couple times, the last, last thing is who is going to go into the millennial kingdom as believers, if all the believers are raptured, changed, given their glorified bodies, who's going to go in as a human? Nobody left. So, that's some of my argument. And so Paul's telling us here, listen, we're going to meet the Lord in the air and we shall always be with the Lord. Are you looking for Jesus? Do you expect him to come? If you're a post-tribber, not so much. When I was into that, do you know who we looked for? We looked for the Antichrist. Why? Because we knew when the Antichrist came, that was going to set up the tribulation. And that was the, you know, the marking point 
of the tribulation. So we were always trying to guess who the Antichrist was. Henry Kissinger, we looked at him for a while. It's got to be him, man, that gnarly thing he's got on his head. You know, I'm, I'm sorry, that's Gorbachev. After Kissinger, Gorbachev, Kissinger was his name. If you take his name and multiply it out and divide it by nine and then multiply it by three and then divide again by six, you get 666. I'm being a little bit crazy, but that's what people do. And, and so listen, Kissinger was 666. Gorbachev was the one, the gnarly thing on his head. It's got to be him. And then you go through, and I've told you guys before, I finally figured out who the Antichrist is. Clint Eastwood. <laughs> and some of you will understand that when you look it up and find out. But hey, that's all we looked for. We always were looking for the Antichrist. Isn't that wrong? Does Jesus ever tell us to look for the Antichrist? No, he says, look for the Christ. And he says, and many will be deceived in that day. We need to look for the Christ. We need to keep our eyes open for the Christ. And so we look at this thing. A couple of weeks ago, I had somebody come to me who's like upset with the current world events, like none of us are. And they're freaking out a little bit, and they came, and they've done some studies, and uh, I don't want to get into everything they were sharing with me because some of it was like a little woo, but be careful what you read on the internet. And they said, I believe we're right here in the book of Revelation. In other words, he thought we were just after the sealed judgments. And he says, this is where I think we're at. And I go, we're not. I promise you we're not there. How do you know? Read your Bible. What starts the tribulation? The Antichrist signing a treaty with Israel. That's the beginning, right? Read the book of Daniel. He makes a seven-year commitment to Israel. That's the seven-year period. And he makes this, and he makes that treaty, breaks it in the middle, and you can read, listen, you can just read Daniel chapter 9, and you should get a pretty big view of eschatology. Just from, just from the end of chapter 9, we'll give you a pretty big view, and you begin to understand that. And the Antichrist, number one, has not been revealed. Number two, there's no peace treaty with Israel. Israel doesn't have a peace treaty with hardly anybody. Well, a couple countries just signed something, but how long is that going to last? But listen, not, not one negotiated and not one with a main player. So kind of keep that in mind. That has to happen. The Antichrist has to be revealed before the tribulation can begin. I believe we're going to be taken out of here. Now, after having said all of that, you can, believe, you can believe the other, and you can even come and talk to me if you'll talk to me gently. Don't hurt my feelings. But if you want to talk, I'll discuss it with you. Just don't come. I had a guy one time come to our church when, when I was in Bisbee, and he calls me at 8 o'clock at night. Oh, I need to talk to you, Pat. And he had, his wife had just died, and, you know, some stuff had gone through. And, and you know, so, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll meet you at the church because I thought he was hurting from that. And we get to the church, he walks in with a three-ring binder, like this thick. And he sits down, and he goes, I want to discuss the rapture. I went, oh, a little bit blindsided here. And here's what I told him. I'm not going to change your mind. you got a three-ring binder, man. And you're not going to change my mind. So why don't we just pray for each other? I, listen, I'm not going to break fellowship over that. But here's what I do know. When Jesus comes, we're going. I don't care which one you pick. 
Hey, I always tell post-tribbers, when we all get raptured, you're going to tell me in the air, you were right, Pat. <laughs> Listen, it's not, like, it's not like Jesus is going to say, sorry, you were a post-tribber, I can't take you. He's going to take you regardless, right? And one more thing. For a while, there was the whole uh, partial rapture theory. Any of you remember that? Where you had to be holy to get raptured. How many of you are holy? Don't raise your hands. <laughs> holy enough to get raptured. So once again, listen. Our going to be with him does not depend on us. It depends on him and what he's doing, and his grace in our lives, and his mercy. Now, having said that, I don't think you want to be, listen, I don't think you want to be in some intense sin and Jesus show up. That would be frightening, wouldn't it? That would like, like, oh, Lord, I did not expect you right now. And he would say, I could tell. <laughs> listen, we should be living like he's going to show up. We should be expecting him. Our lives should reflect him, and we should be doing that. So he says, listen, we're going to be caught up. And then, and then he says, listen, we're going to be with the Lord forever. Oh, one more thing. Don't confuse this with Matthew 24. Matthew 24, and here's the big thing. There's a, day, there's a day of the Lord, not necessarily what he's going to talk about here in a little bit in chapter 5, but there is the capital day of the Lord. That's talking about the tribulation period. That's when Jesus comes back with his church, right? That's the day of the Lord. When Jesus, what we're talking about is when Jesus comes for his church. Matthew 24 is talking about and ends with Jesus coming back with all of his saints to set up the kingdom, that's a different event. I believe, I believe strongly there's two second comings. And some of you go, you can't do that. Well, you know what happened in the, in the Old Testament? What did they read in the Old Testament? There is going to be a conquering Messiah and there's gonna be a suffering Messiah. How can that happen? They were confused. How is that gonna happen? How can there be a conquering and a suffering and he's the Messiah and he's delivering that? How can that happen? And they, listen, and they missed his first coming. Why? Because they were trying to figure that out instead of just saying, maybe he's coming twice. Maybe the first time he's going to be a suffering Messiah, and the next time he comes, he's going to be conquering, which I believe, because I believe in the rapture, Jesus never comes back to planet Earth. Here he says, we're going to go meet him in the clouds. And that's where we're going to be, and then we're going to go into heaven, and we're going to be with him forever. So he does only come back here once, but we meet him in the air, we go, and we're with him forever. Also in Matthew, in Matthew it talks about him coming with the church. Here we're talking about him coming for the church. And then in Matthew it says he is coming in the clouds. Here it says we're meeting him in the clouds. Big difference, some little differences, nuances that you need to pay attention to. So he says we're gonna be with him forever. Now verse 18 is the best. Check this out. Therefore, fight and argue with one another over these words. <laughs> what does he say? Comfort one another with these words. What is comforting about these words? That we're going to be with Jesus forever. Forever. Even those who went before us who we didn't really lose. It's funny, we always say, I lost a loved one. No, if you know where your loved ones are, you didn't lose them. But we're gonna be with him forever. 
Jesus is not going to miss some. I, I taught one time, I taught the rapture to little kids. I don't know why they bring little kids to me and they want me to teach them about the rapture. Now, why would you do that, well, number one, with me? And why are you telling like four-year-olds about the rapture? So I just told them, I, I don't break it down. <laughs> like, I just go, Jesus is coming back and he's going to take us to be with him and we're going to go live with him forever. And that's what the Bible teaches. And this one little guy's eyes are like this, man. He is like freaked out. And I go, what's up? And he goes, how many people can he hold at one time? <laughs> oh, they didn't let me teach kids after that, ever, ever. They're going, you got to explain things. And I go, and I did explain. When he asked the question, I said, it's easy, man. He can hold everybody. It's not a big deal for him. And he goes, are you sure? I go, I'm positive. But here's the point, man. Jesus is not going to forget us. Comfort one another with these words. They should just be comforting, not something to fight over. And we should understand, man, we get to be with him forever. Hallelujah. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I do thank you. I thank you for just the challenge that we have here as we read these words. It can be, it can be challenging for some of us, and some of us, we, we may even be angry by some of my opinion, and, and Lord, I, I just pray that's not deterring from what you're saying. I pray that we would have that, the greatest understanding of all, that because Jesus died and rose again on the third day, we are promised a resurrection. Whether we die or whether we're alive, we will be reunited with, or we will be united with you forever and ever and ever. Those who died will be reunited and their bodies glorified. Those of us who are alive get glorified bodies. And it's that simple. And God, the timing may be something we want to discuss and debate about, but here's what I know. You're coming according to your timetable when you are ready. And so, Lord, I do pray, I pray for all of us that we would be people that have an expectation of the return of our Lord for us to come and get us and come and take us to be with him forever. Let us live our lives like that's going to be in the next hour. And that we would be men and women who are expecting that. And I'm going to ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a few more minutes. And if you are here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you've never asked him to forgive your sins, now is the time to do it. The Bible says, listen, it's very clear. The Bible says we've all sinned and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's a fact. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but also spiritual death, meaning separation from God. That's the bad news. The good news is Jesus Christ came, went to the cross, died physically, and died spiritually, was separated from God for your sin, and he paid the penalty that you could never pay. And he says, here, I paid it in full. Take this. And so this morning, you want to be part of that? You want to enjoy that? The first thing you need to do is you need to confess to God that you know you're a sinner. You need to let him know that you know you're a sinner, not for his information, so that you know, so that you're admitting that place. Then you need to ask him to forgive your sin. And you're not going to ask him to do that until you admit you're a sinner. 
So let God know, yes, I know that I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sin, and I want you to forgive me. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer, kind of saying those things. And yeah, I'm going to kind of put words in your mouth. I'll lead you in a prayer. You can say this prayer after me out loud. You can say it silently. And then listen, and as you say this prayer, God is going to hear you. If you're backslidden, listen, if you've walked away from God and you're here today, man, he's calling you back. You're not here by mistake. He's drawing you back. Say this prayer with us. Come home. Come back to Jesus. If you're watching online, you're sitting at home and and you're watching what's going on here, you can say that prayer right where you're at. You don't have to be in this building. Just call on the name of the Lord. Say this prayer where you're at. Jesus, today I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you. And today I'm asking you for forgiveness. Jesus, I want you to come into my heart and change me. I want you to come into my life and guide me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for your forgiveness. And right now I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.